0: Now, most of you know that I am a huge, huge fan of mystery novels. I can remember in my youth spending the summer months carousing through softback mystery books of Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys, Sherlock Holmes, and others. My face would be pressed to the pages, waiting for the next shoe to drop. Mysteries have a tendency to draw us into the story. I'm getting a little bit too much here. Thank you. Mysteries have a way of drawing us into the story, drawing us into the plot. This is what mysteries do. They keep the reader on the edge of the seats, waiting and anticipating the next twist and turn. Because they can't wait to see what's going to happen next. And when the plot is at its crucial point, when it thickens, when it's ready to climax, we find ourselves trying to remember all the clues that were present before to try in our own minds to Solve that mystery before we actually know what has really happened. But as hard as we try, if you are anything like me, you fail miserably at it. (laughs) I could never remember all the clues. I couldn't put it all together and my conclusion was always wrong. But I I never looked at that as a source of discouragement. I looked at not being able to solve mysteries as an encouragement. It was teaching me something. It was teaching me to be more vigilant, more digilant, observe things a little bit better, pay closer attention, if you will, to all things around me. So now, having said that, today I want to present you with a mystery. It's gonna be your turn to participate in the solving of a mystery. And this is how it's gonna work. First, I'm gonna select some scriptures that we will read together. Second, we will read the scriptures a second time, but this time looking for clues. Thirdly, we're going to define the clues as clearly as we can. Fourthly, did you discover the missing shadow? Today's mystery surrounds a report from this guy, pick one, of a missing shadow. This cow has reported that he has a shadow, but he can't find it. It's our job to find his shadow. Now, I know groundhogs have shadows, but this cow has a shadow. So we're going to solve the mystery of the missing cow's shadow. To do this, I have selected as our source for clues, Numbers chapter 19. So we will read, or you can follow me along with this, if you will. And the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, this is a requirement of the law that the Lord has commanded. Tell the Israelites to bring you a red heifer without defect or blemish and that has never been yoked. Give it to Eleazar the priest. He used to take it outside the camp and slaughter it in his presence. Then El Azar the priest will take some of the blood on his finger and sprinkle it seven times toward the front of the tent of meeting. While he watches, the heifer is to be burned, its hide, its flesh, its blood, and its intestines. The priest is to take some cedar wood, some hyssop, some scarlet wool, and throw it on the burning heifer. After that, the priest must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Then he may wash himself, excuse me. After that, the priest must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. He may then come into the camp, but he will be ceremonially unclean until evening. The man who burns it must also wash his clothes and bathe with water, and he too will be unclean until evening. Now a man that is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and put them in a ceremonially clean place outside the camp. They are to be kept by the Israelite community for use in the waters of cleansing. It is for purification from sin. The man who gathers up the ashes must also wash his clothes. And he too will be unclean until evening. This will be a lasting ordinance for all of Israel and for foreigners residing among you. Now, having read all of that, with your detective hats already on, were there certain things in those scriptures that just said, there's something odd about this. There's just, there's got to be something more to the scriptures than what's on the surface. You see, I've learned over the years that there are many types and shadows or foretelling of Yeshua in scriptures. And especially so, especially so in the Torah portions. Yeshua is everywhere. But can you find him? Is he here? Is he in this story? Can you see a shadow there? Some of you say, well, I see a lot of you yawn, you know, some are yawning, some are nodding, some are like <laughs> But it's all good. It's all good. So, before we continue what we're going to do, or as we continue, our second step is to review scriptures and we're going to identify key words and then or if you will, key clues and then we will identify or define the clues. So as we go forward here, let's have um, slide A please. The first two verses. And the Lord said unto Moses, this is the requirement the law of the Lord that he has commanded, tell all the Israelites to bring you a red heifer without defect, blemish, and never been yoked. Now we, we know who the Lord is. We know that the Lord says to Moses and Aaron. We read that over and over again in Torah. We're very familiar with that. We know what a requirement of the law is. It's a, it's a law that's commanded by the Lord to do. You will do. So as I look at these two verses, the only real thing that stands out to me is red heifer. I want to know what a red heifer is. Okay, so that's going on my list. Red heifer. Okay, slide B, please. You are to give it to Eliezer, or Eliezer the priest. He's to take it outside the camp and slaughter it in his presence. Then Eliezer, Eliezer the priest is to take some of the blood on his finger and sprinkle it seven times toward a tent of meaning. So basically, verse 3 and 4 have a whole lot of things that Eleazar is doing. I want to know what they mean. I want to know what, who is Eliezer the priest. What's, what does the word slaughter mean? What does sprinkling of blood seven times towards something have to do with anything? I want to know what this means. So let's look at the next set, please. Verse five and six. Now while he watches, the heifer is to be burned totally, his hide, his flesh, his blood, his intestines, he's to be consumed. The priest is to take some cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet wool and throw it on the pile. I have never heard of all the sacrifices and everything I've read in scripture. I have never heard of a piling on while something's burning. This is the only case I know of. So we have cedarwood, hyssop, and scarlet wool. I want to know what that means because it's apparently very significant in the burning of the red heifer. Okay, uh, next set. verse 7 and 8. And after that, the priest is going to wash his clothes and bathe himself. We know how to bathe ourselves, so we won't get into that. And he's going to be unclean. And in verse 8, the man who burns it also washes himself. So I think that's pretty much self explanatory. So we won't get into that so much, but we'll go to the next two verses. Now, a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and put them in a ceremonially clean place outside the camp. I'm very interested in those things. I want to know who this man is. What qualifies him to put these ashes in a clean place? They are to be kept by Israelites' community, to be used in the water of cleansing, it is for the purification of sin. Now the man who gathers up the ashes, even though they're ashes, he's gathering ashes. And even he who picks up the ashes for the water of purification is unclean and he too must wash himself." Sounds like they're gonna have a bathing party after this ceremony. So anyway, so, so there we are. We got, we got some of our clues. We have our clues listed on the piece of paper. Now we want to look a little closer at each of our clues and to define them. I want to know what they are concisely or at least a little bit better. So we go on and we say, well, What is a heifer? Well, first of all, a heifer is not a calf. It's not a calf. A heifer is a cow. It's at least three or four years old, so it's an adult cow. Now, the red heifer, what's unusual about the red heifer is that it is an unusual cow. And this red heifer was to be inspected very heavily. It wasn't, not, well, not only was it um, to be perfect, to be without blemish or spot, like other sacrifices would be, but it even went a step further. It was closely examined in the Encyclopedia Judaica, it says that the priest would look so close that if he noticed three black hairs on the chin of the red heifer, it was rejected. Now that's what I call scrutiny, right? So the red heifer is basically a red cow that undergoes high scrutiny in examination, looked at very, very closely. Now who is Eleazar? Eliezer. I want to say Eliezer is Eleazar. Eleazar is Aaron's son, which basically says he is not the high priest. And I think there's a point to be made here. He's not the high priest because number one, God forbade the high priest from becoming unclean. Remember an incident with a couple of Aaron's son when they were struck down by God? The high priest was said, You're not even to weep for them. And you better not rent your clothes either. You are not to mourn. You are a priest for all of Israel. You are not to defile yourself. You are not to be unclean. So this job was set to someone else to do. Someone else that could be made unclean. So this is Eliezer's job. Now the red heifer was taken outside the camp to be slaughtered. Okay. So up to this point, we've basically been talking about sacrifices. I can understand a sacrifice. You bring it inside the camp, you slaughter it next to the altar, and then you sacrifice, you offer it up to the Lord. For whatever the case may be, a goodwill offering, sin offering, whatever it is. But this is not so. This heifer did not make it inside the gate. He was examined closely outside the gate. Then he was led by another outside the gate to a place. It didn't say it had to be in. It wasn't a clean place. It just basically said any place. Find a place outside the gate and slaughter it. But make sure that the priest comes and watches it. So a slaughter is not a sacrifice. It is a slaughter. For to be a sacrifice, an altar would have to be present. This is a slaughter outside the gate. And the priest watches. Then we get to the point of where once when the cow is slaughtered, the priest is to sprinkle the blood of that cow seven times toward the tabernacle. I'm not sure of the fullness of the significance of that act. But there's something there. There's something there about the sprinkling of the blood seven times toward the place where God dwells. And I think, though I don't know fully what it means, I think we can speculate pretty well. I think we can say that the priest is saying, this is the commandment that God gave. This is a fulfillment of God's commandment. The blessings or whatever comes from the sacrifice is in God's hands. God completes this. That's one of the meanings of the number seven. It is completion. It is fulfillment. It is perfection. God perfects this slaughter. And then we get to the word "sum." The priest is to take some. I had to stop at the word some. Some? Seriously? Some? What is some? Is it an omer? Is it a piece? Is it a pinch? <laughs> He's to take some. Hyssop. And cast it onto the burning of the red heifer. Hyssop. Did you know that hyssop was a medicine for some types of healings? That it actually has a healing property? But the thing that would come to all of us, I'm sure, the number one thing that comes to our mind when we say hyssop is the Passover. Because hyssop, hyssop is a stringy type of Well, it's almost like a weed. And it's stringy. And if you were to grab a bunch of hyssop and tie it together and clip it off a little bit, you got a paintbrush. Right? And then you were to take that hyssop, that paintbrush, if you will, and dip it into the lamb's blood and apply it to the doorpost of your house. Hmm... Then there was cedar wood. Cedar wood is an unusual type of wood. It has different properties from any other wood that I know. Cedar wood is durable, resistant to the weather. It endures, it stands strong. Years ago, farmers used, would seek out cedar wood to use it as fence posts because of its durability. It's resistant to insects. I cannot think of a single insect that would eat cedar. I know whenever I put cedar in my firewood pile, I can guarantee that there will be no insects in that area. They hate cedar. So it repels. It repels that which could attack it. It repels. And then Cedar Wood's other property is that it has a smell, a sweet smell, a pleasant smell. Hmm. And then we get to the scarlet wool. Scarlet. It's a vivid red. If you were to look up scarlet in scriptures, Scarlet is everywhere. It's everywhere. It's everywhere in the temple. It's on the priest's blessed page, his, his ephod. It's in the hem of his garment right next to the pomegranate and, and the bell. The pomegranate had scarlet in it. The curtain of separation had scarlet in it. Scarlet was also cloths that covered up the holy things before they were moved. But the story we would remember the most is the story of Jericho. Rahab. Rahab tied scarlet to her window. So when the attacking Israelites came, they saw the scarlet, and her house was saved and all her household. So scarlet is also a symbol and a sign of salvation. If the scarlet is applied, you can be saved. Judgment will not come. Then we get outside the gate. Why was this done outside the gate? Again, this is something I cannot definitively say. This is absolutely the answer. But I think God reveals his heart to us in many ways. And that is that God wants to provide for us a way to be clean whether it's inside the gate or outside the gate, whether you are Jew or Gentile, whether you are a stranger in the land, God always wants to provide a way by which you can be clean. And this whole act takes place outside the gate, and it remains outside the gate. For all those who would come who need cleansing, there's a place that you can come to be cleansed. It's outside the gate. But guess what? Once when you're cleansed, those gates open up. Those gates will open and you can be welcomed in. There are many shadows here. Many mysteries. But I think we can begin at this point to see where all of this is rushing to. Was the red heifer truly hiding a shadow, a type of Yeshua. You see, it's like once when we do these studies, we go to our final point. When we do these types of studies, it's not only reading the scriptures, it's not only identifying the clues, it's not about making the list, it's not about defining everything on that list so you can have a better understanding. It's that once when you define that list and have your understanding of what the basic needs is, the rest of it comes through revelation. It's Revelation that reveals to you the shadows and the types of Yeshua in scriptures because this is the time that you set your study down and you said I have done all I can do to understand this I know he's in here somewhere now I need to meditate and ask for inspiration sometimes these things can come to you fairly simply and fairly quickly and other times not so quickly Let's look again at the details. Let's start again with the red heifer. There was someone, an unnamed person, who bought this heifer to the priest, an unknown person. The priest is to inspect the heifer, not only to be without spite of blemish, but in every case, even the very hairs of the heifer were scrutinized. He was to be absolutely flawless. Wasn't Yeshua led by an unnamed individual to be inspected by the priest and the elders? In Matthew twenty-seven fifty-seven or twenty-six fifty-seven, we are reminded that when Yeshua was arrested, that he was first taken to the priest and to the elders to be inspected. Those who arrested him took Yeshua. Capias is the high priest where the teachers of the laws and the elders were assembled. Yeshua was later, of course, taken before the rulers of the land and so forth and the people. But in every case, whether he was in front of the priest, whether he was in front of governors, or whether he was in front of the people, no one could find fault in Yeshua. And maybe you don't remember this, but in Matthew chapter 27 28, it says, And they stripped him of his clothing and they put on a scarlet robe on Yeshua. Woo! We're starting to hit home. And after they mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes back on, and then they led him away to be crucified. And as they were going, they met a man from Cyrene, a man named uh, Simon, and forced him to carry a wooden cross. Now, wouldn't it be irony of all ironies if that was a cedar cross? They took him to a place called Golgotha that was Outside the gate. The place of the skull. And when they had crucified or slaughtered him, they divided up his clothes and cast lots. Matthew 27, 35. And when evening approached, there came another man. From, I can never pronounce this place His name was Joseph. Who had himself become a disciple of Yeshua. Going to Pilate, he asked for Yeshua's body and Pilate ordered that it be given him. Now, Joseph took the body and he wrapped it in a clean cloth. Matthew 27, 59. And he placed it, the body, in a clean cloth place for it was a clean tomb, a newly humed out tomb that Yeshua was placed. And then he rolled a big stone in front of it. The ultimate purpose of the slaughter of the heifer was to bring cleansing to a person who had contact with a dead body. Is sin any different? Aren't we reminded that the wages of sin is death? Isn't sin like bringing death upon you, like touching death? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Yeshua Messiah, our Lord. That's Romans chapter six twenty-three. Isn't it also true that the ashes of the heifer were to be, was to bring cleansing to the Jew and to the Gentile? So too is the blood of Yeshua who paid the ultimate price for our sins, slaughtered outside the gate so that all who believed on him would be saved and cleansed, whether Jew or Gentile. Yeshua resisted temptation in every way. Our faith in Yeshua brings healing to our heart and to our soul and to our spirit. Without a doubt, There is a shadow, there is a foretelling of Yeshua and the story of the red heifer. But were you able to follow me when we were going through the list, as we were receiving the clues? Were you beginning to see Yeshua there? If you were, that's great. If not, well, no big deal. Better luck next time. But it really matters little on whether we could solve this mystery or not. To follow all the details, what matters the most is that you yourself personally have made a decision to accept Yeshua as your Messiah, as your Lord, as your Savior, so that He may bring healing and salvation to you and give you peace. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Lord, I love the ministry.